drop. Hey there, everyone. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of Story Fort. You have found Story Fort Presents Voices of Tree Fort Music Fest, which is a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Tree Fort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March. But this year, we have been rescheduled for September 23rd through 27th. But we're still here to tell you about all things Tree Fort. And today, we have a cool episode featuring a number of our favorite nonprofit partners in the Boise area and beyond. Tree Fort overall has a wide net of, uh, of partners, including so many nonprofits. Um, and Story Fort, um, in particular, are able to work with so many great arts organizations and just community, you know, instead of nonprofits here in, the, in Boise and, and places that reach the state um, across the board. So we do have five of them today. Today that I will list here, the Lee Pesky Learning Center, the Idaho Botanical Gardens, Idaho Conservation League, Immigrant Justice Idaho, and Radio Boise were all able to be a part of this. But we also have a couple I want to give shout outs to who weren't able to make it on the air um, in this busy time. But uh, Big Tree Arts, one of our favorite poetry nonprofits. Also, the Idaho Museum of International Diaspora, Treasure Valley Reads, and one of our major founding partners, I suppose, and and uh, Collaborators is The Cabin, which is the state's largest literary nonprofit. So those last three or four weren't able to make it on the air today, but that's okay. Um, we're going to bring you the rest, and we've got uh, about an hour's worth of goodness featuring, you know, the times we're living in, the pandemic and the sheltering in place and the state here trying to get back open a little bit um, here in early May, but uh, just where everybody is in the nonprofit world and also there's this awesome program, this campaign called Idaho Gives, um, which you can find at idahogives.org, that uh, the five organizations we're featuring today are all a part of. And it's a, this year has been run in a month-long fashion where it's just online and remote, where you can go to that website and you can find places like Radio Boise and the Idaho Conservation League, and you can make a donation. And they're, you know, gosh, at this point, it's not closed yet, so I can't tell you exactly how much money is coming in, but like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's really an amazing thing that the state of Idaho is lucky to have this organization. So we're going to talk about sort of what your gift to these organizations could give to them and the people they serve um, and the causes they serve. And also just kind of, you know, checking in um, about a month and a half after our postponement, or maybe a little longer than that, but, uh, you know, Tree Fort shall march on, Story Fort shall march on, and these nonprofits are doing some great work. So, enjoy. Here they come. Okay, so now I'm with Aaron Anderson and Sierra Laverty of the Idaho Botanical Garden, one of our great collaborators and, and partners for Story Fort 2020 for the first year, hopefully in September. But... Aaron, Sierra, would you tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do at the garden, um, and then we'll get into some of your programs. We'll get into sort of uh, the benefits of the Idaho Gives program and all that kind of stuff too. So we'll go Sierra first. All right. So I'm Sierra Laverty. I'm the assistant horticulture director here for the Idaho Botanical Garden going into my fourth year here. And I get the great pleasure of teaching people about horticulture and 
connecting them with plants and nature through different programs that we have, as well as I also help oversee the horticulture department, which cares for the living collections that we have out here. We have 15 acres of cultivated gardens and our horticulture staff work tirelessly to care for those, which are model examples of uh, plants that thrive in the Treasure Valley. And so it's a lot of classes, a little bit of pest management and uh, anything else that comes my way. Awesome. And Erin? Yeah, I'm Erin. I'm the executive director here at the Garden. It's very difficult for me to narrow down exactly one area that I focus in because I do get to have my hands in quite a few different areas of the Garden. Typically, I'm working with donors, with members, a little bit, you know, management and oversight of the departments as a whole, working with events, with our concerts. Um, and then the really exciting policies, processes, and procedures of a large nonprofit organization. Yeah. One thing that I can add to my list of tasks lately that's been a little bit of a challenge for me is doing a lot more social media, some videos that has been a big learning curve. I feel like by time we are all out of this pandemic that I will be exceptionally better at those live videos and kind of going through that vlogging stage of where we're at at the garden currently. Yeah, I can I, I can relate to that. We're doing that right now on the Zoom call on this podcast. So, yeah. And how about your staff? How's how does that look these days? You guys stay connected. Or you, you guys are working hard. It sounds like out in the garden, growing seeds. You know, it's harvest or what, what did you call this season, Sierra? It's, it's growing season for sure. Yeah, the growing. Yeah, we call it roughly the growing season. And we have um, almost all of our horticulture staff are back in the garden. There was a time where we really went down to just a few staff members that were, you know, our essential staff here at the gardens to maintain our collections. And now, you know, we're, we've added on folks, we have our interns that are back in the gardens as of today, our uh, College of Western Idaho interns, which are uh, really fortunate to have. And we, one like key vital piece that we're missing right now is our volunteers. So uh, we had suspended our volunteer program, you know, as soon as things um, started to uh, worsen in the community pretty early on and in an effort to, you know, protect those folks. We have about 50 volunteers in the horticulture program that come on a weekly basis and so that's that's really our next um our next hope is to sort of phase Mm -hmm. those folks in as as we can as it's as it's safe to do so and get them back out there in the gardens because we definitely um are noticing you know them not being with us out there. I bet, yeah. And as I was mentioning earlier, it's a beautiful spot, kind of on the edge of downtown Boise. I've been hiking up that way and it looks really nice out there. But uh, are people able, I mean, for you guys, what are you anticipating for the public to be able to access the, the garden again? Yeah, we're really excited. Today, we made the announcement that we would be opening to the public again tomorrow, so May 2nd. We're going to start off with a soft opening for our members. So if you are a member of the garden, you're able to gain early access from Saturday, May 2nd to May 6th. And that's an opportunity for us to say thanks so much for sticking in with us through this challenging time. Um, Our members are what sustains the garden and helps, you know, create that financial stability. And so then we'll be opening to the general public on May 7th. And we're coming up with quite a few different policies and protocol for reopening. We want to do so 
in a manner that will keep our community safe and healthy. And so you'll see a little bit of changes at the garden, whether it's through admission, we won't be accepting any um, debit cards or credit cards. Um, we're having no touch policy. So you do that all online before you come to the garden. And um, we'll have some social distancing requirements. We're asking everybody to wear a mask and bring a mask. And then in addition to that, we're limiting the amount of individuals who can come into the garden at one time. So we're limiting that to a maximum of 400 people in the garden at one time. But our goal to start with is, is only 200. And to put that in perspective, we have 15 acres of developed space. So with 200 in the garden, that's 13 people per acre. And with 400 in the garden, that's 26 people per acre. So even on one acre of property, 26 people per acre is, there's a lot more than six feet of social distancing. Um, so we're excited that we have an opportunity to do that and that we're a spot that we feel that people are going to really want to come back to um, because they do feel that sense of connection with nature and also just in the you know, safety of being in the great outdoors. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I look forward to getting out there when you guys do open up. Um, and yeah, we had you all as partners this year um, with StoryForge and uh, we were able to, well, let, let's talk a little bit about the pollinators real quick because it was based around the Treasure Valley Reads um, program and the book for Treasure Valley Reads was called uh, The Honey Bus by Meredith May. And there's a lot of science in there as long, it's also a memoir, but a lot of pollinator science, but uh, Sierra, what's going on on with the, I don't know, the bees and such out there? Yeah, um, our bees uh, are doing great. We actually just split a hive. Um, uh, I wasn't a part of that. Our beekeeper, Mark Nagel, who has been on this yeah. podcast before, uh, he came in, split the hive for us. They're doing exceptionally well. I'm actually looking on my, on my phone right now because he found a picture of a, a bull snake that was wrapped around the hive as he was up there. So, you know, we're right up against the foothills. Um, so we have wildlife encounters like that, but he was, he was wrapped around the hive, uh, the active hive is like the bees were just kind of ignoring him. I think he was mousing maybe, which was probably a good thing for them. So they were coexisting pretty well. Wow. Um, That's pretty neat. Yeah, it was really cool. But yeah, things are going great. Um, our, you're starting to see, you know, other pollinators like black chin hummingbirds are finally out again. Um, all of our bumblebees are pretty much out at this point. So the garden's really humming right now. Awesome. Quite literally. Quite literally. literally. <laughs> <laughs> the garden is humming. That's wonderful. Yeah. And we're super excited to keep working with you guys moving forward and telling, you know, the stories around the natural environment you guys are part of and kind of the, the programs you already run. And there's also a lot of the music component to your programming, as you mentioned briefly, but uh, there's some bigger concerts and there's some kind of tree fort adjacent programs of uh, music programs out there too. So tell us, Erin, how that's looking. Gosh, we don't know. Um, but this is what I do know at this time is that we, we have two different concert series. We have our outlaw field concert series, and then we also have our great garden escape concert series. Uh, for our Outlaw Field Concert Series, we work with a concert promoter that's Seymour Concerts, and um, we are working with them to determine which artists will be rescheduling, who may be canceling, and which ones are planning for the show to go on. And of course, as the state has indicated through the four different stages of reopening, we'll be following those guidelines. 
But right now, people are wondering if Outlaw Field concert series will be canceled, and we're not quite sure. Um, we're hopeful that we'll be able to maintain some of the shows here, but we're not quite sure, and we're just playing it by ear. Um, as any cancellations are made or any rescheduling, then we'll notify all ticket holders through See More Concerts. Um, for us, that, that's pretty scary. Um, similar to Tree Fort, of course, we depend on a lot of revenue from these events. They're what do keep our garden gates open on a year-round basis. And so we're examining different opportunities to supplement that funding. But it's, it's pretty challenging right now. I bet. Um, one, of the, <laughs> one of the ways you're supplementing your funding is through Idaho Gives. So we just have a couple more minutes, but um, why don't you tell us, you know, a little bit about how to, how to give. Um, we do have at IdahoGives.org. Um, you can link up to the Idaho Botanical Garden. I know that. But then also what, for the garden, what that money will be going towards. Yeah, definitely. Um, this year, we're really excited to feature our resilience garden, a.k.a. vegetable garden which is in an acre and a half space where we produce a ton of produce every year and donate uh, that produce to the City Light Women's Shelter for uh, women and children. And we have been really lucky to collaborate with that, with that um, nonprofit for the past you know, five plus years, um, giving produce to them from our gardens here. But the, the, uh, the gardens themselves are demonstration gardens um, to teach people how to grow their own produce, which is such an important thing right now. People are really focused on that and for a good reason. Um, and we're really excited to be a part of that. We've also been collaborating with uh, the Treasure Valley Food Coalition and their campaign, um, Feeding Ourselves Treasure Valley. So we're the um, demonstration garden for that. So we're sending out as many videos as we can about how to, you know, grow your, grow your own produce. That's awesome. Well, good. And it looks like I guess your goal is about 15 grand for the for the garden. And at this point of this taping here, um, a couple of days before it'll go on the air, you're about two thirds of the way there, close to it. That's pretty awesome. And hopefully you can go beyond it, of course. But yeah, is this a standard goal? Like this is about what you did last year, or is this something that I talked to a couple of other nonprofits, of course, and they had kind of adjusted their goals for this year just because of the state of the world, but maybe Aaron to finish up kind of maybe yeah. how it looks different and then we can say goodbye and, you know, move on to the next folks. Yeah, this year is, it's a little bit of a stretch goal for us, not significant, but a few thousand dollars more than what we've done in the past. And we decided to do that because our community is experiencing food insecurity at higher rates than ever before. And we know that we have the skills and the ability to be able to grow that food and then pay that forward by putting that back into the food system for our most vulnerable population. A lot of the time people think about vegetable gardens as it's, it's fairly inexpensive to get into um, when you are looking at the purchase price for seeds or plants. However, what really costs the most amount of money is that gardener, that horticulturist who's there nurturing that seed you know, all the way to fruit, and then turning around and processing that produce to donate forward. And so our hope is that we can raise a few extra thousand dollars than what we have in the past so that we can keep our staff here working on that garden so that come June and July and August and September, the amount of food that we'll be able to put back into our food system for that vulnerable population will increase significantly. That's fantastic. Well, you guys do some awesome work and 
we're hoping to, like I said, keep working with you for, for a story for it. And hopefully in September, we're, you know, planning on it for now, but uh, cautiously optimistic, we'll say that. But thanks so much and keep up the good work. Hello, my name is Jared Bostrom. I'm this semester's CWI intern here at StoryFort, and today I'm here with Radio Boise Program Director and Raconteur of Freeform Airwaves, Mr. Wayne Burt. We'll be discussing Radio Boise's spring fundraiser as well as their role in our community even at the strangest of times. Wayne, thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. Happy to be here. Now, just treading on the obvious here for a second, Radio Boise is a nonprofit community radio station that operates at the hands of its volunteers. But due to the current situation we're in right now, how has the people-powered approach to this station changed in a time where we're all advised to stay at home? Mm, Well, it's still people-powered, I assure Mm. you. And I think that's pretty obvious when you hear the broadcast, but it's the way that it is people-powered, right? Like we've moved from a lever to a turbine or something like sure, that. Sure, yeah. Uh, we, in the early days, you know, when we knew that, you know, with due respect to the safety of the community and to our programmers, that we needed to allow the space for programmers to stay at home if they needed to, we were engaged in battle royale to turn everything into uh, setting people up to be able to do home recordings. And, um, you know, I mean, probably like 70% of our programming are people recording from home wow. with a degree of audio quality that, um, by and large, I'm pretty proud to admit is, I think, pretty tolerable to most listeners. What a goal that is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it sounded pretty tight. I mean, it's it's evolved since this crisis yeah. has come on, and I think yeah. it kind of shows how we've all been adapting. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think with people that still come on live, you know, it's like... There's enough isolation. There's enough, you know, uh, sanitary practice to help everybody feel like they're coming in and they're safe. You know, everything I said from the beginning, if anybody has any, any reservation whatsoever, they shouldn't come in and do their program. But we'll be there to help them, you know, get set up so they can record from home and also have it sound broadcast worthy. So that's where we're at. I think that's awesome because I think the programming that's provided here is really important throughout the week that, uh, you know, people rely on those shows coming in at the same time every week. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's easy to forget, particularly as a listener, maybe that's not true, but, um, that, you know, week after week is almost like, you know, a work commitment. I don't Mm. freely readily use that word, but, you know. A week is a week and it's pretty constant and people who are doing programs have to remember that you know they are done with the show and then boom they're back to gathering their music for the next week but i think what's been really interesting is like the emotional sort of tonality of the whole radio station has in a way and i've mentioned this before in a couple interviews is that we're all community members we're all going through this we are no different. We're not the man in the high castle or whatever. Yeah. So the way that's been expressed in individual shows has been really interesting. And I think even beyond being interesting, it's been really compelling to a lot of listeners because more than ever, you realize that the people that you listen to every week doing shows are just your contemporaries. They're people in the community, right. community members, you know? They may spend a little more time with music to curate it, to present it to you. So, 
you know, we've had a whole variety of shows, but I think all in all, the shows are like digging deep. The sets are becoming just so well put together um, that if you listen to Radio Boise, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, we're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, from the shows that I listen to regularly and just my relationship with music personally is that we kind of seek out the music that we're feeling Mm-hmm. so to speak. And the programs that I've been hearing from week to week are almost like a journal or a diary as to how people are coping. Yeah, And uh, having the programmers here at Radio Boise being just regular members of the community is yeah. pretty reflective and kind of a weird experiment of how people deal with grief yeah. and how people deal with boredom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird concoction of both of them, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. It's almost like a constant sort of uh, like newswire yeah. on how the community <laughs> yeah. is dealing with what these weird conditions are. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, the variety of approaches are as wide and varied as like the width of our programming. Right. Which, you know, in a way, people like adventure. And I would say that most of our core listeners do like adventure. This is just another version of it. Sure. (laughs) So right now, as we've kind of mentioned, Radio Boise is in the middle of its biannual fundraiser. How would you describe the current spring fundraiser in contrast to the normal Radiothon extravaganza? Well, obviously, from an optical perspective, we can't really have groups of people together, you know. I mean, in a way, I've heard people call it cynically sort of in the past a Mm -hmm. begathon. And I think we set out many, many years ago to, like, avoid being considered a begathon. I think a lot of it had to do with, like, putting, you know, conditioning our programmers and our volunteers to think of it as nothing less than a party. Right. It's just a big celebration of community radio and community. So obviously that's a little off the table in these circumstances. I think what we're trying to do is make sure that in isolation, either listeners isolation or programmers isolation, that we're maybe even doing more special shows to ensure that, that we continue to make that connection. And we're also trying to be respectful of like the economic uncertainty out there. Mm-hmm. So people ask, you know, our programmers ask for money and we are asking for money. You can donate, you can text, you know, you can give us a call for like the 30% of live programmers that we have. But if you don't have it, we're certainly not putting the hard sell on you because we're here to support as much as we're here to be supported. Sure. So, Yeah, we need money to stay alive, and we're very happy for those people that have the means to support us, and we want everybody that has that capability to do that, but there's not going to be, like, you know, any fear-based, like, pitching, like, if you don't do this in 27 hours, we're going under. You know, we just can't do that. And I think if we're going to be part of the community, we definitely are obligated to have the same experience as the community yeah we are and that's it and that leads into my next question a little bit but i think that the biannual fundraiser it's not so much of a begathon as it is as we've made it to the next step yeah and this is the time to celebrate Mm -hmm. this freeform community-based radio station so that it can go to the next step and that it can do more 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a stability to this that we continue to look at and go, whoa, we're like doing all right, you Mm -hmm. know, and we shouldn't lose sight of that despite all the fear and the extraordinary circumstances that we're in. You get to this point where, you know, enough people tell you they're like, wow, I've lived in Detroit, I've lived in New York, and you really are one of the better radio stations I've ever heard before. And that tells me that everything we've worked on for the last eight years or nine years has really sort of come to fruition. That doesn't mean that we just pop the cork and that's it. That means that we're doubly obligated to continue to work for it. But we're here and we're not going away. We are absolutely indebted to the community and by the same token, always willing to ask the community to give us a little bit more if they can to keep us going. And we are in a fun drive and we mm-hmm. do appreciate donations, you know, yeah. so whatever anybody has, we're absolutely grateful for. It reminds me, uh, I think it was a quote by Jack White, but went somewhere along the lines of whenever you see yourself reaching a certain plateau in any sort of skill or field, it should only be the signal that you need to start reaching higher. (laughs) And that's a good one. So that leads me into my next question here. Besides like daily programming, what else does this money from the fundraiser help Radio Boise Mm -hmm. accomplish in the community? Yeah, absolutely. It helps a lot. It helps us put on really rich events that, you know, are reflective of the community, things that are fun. We can think outside of the box, right? We can... Uh, pull out all the stops to make sure that you have a good live experience once events begin to happen again. Um, The other thing that, and I know you're acutely aware of this one, Mm -hmm. is to add like a visual component to what we do. Right, right. We put ourselves out there, and we have the radio station, obviously. We have our stream, you know. We have things that we put up on our SoundCloud page. But when live bands and... You know, this is what's crazy about the COVID era is that we were so on the cusp of like oh, yeah. flipping that switch, yeah. you know, and flipping that switch to not only having live bands with really good sounding and good looking video on a steady stream on YouTube, but like to have it become a primary way that people can participate with Radio Boise. So that goal is not gone. It's just been a little bit delayed. And I think, you know, with donations, obviously, to keep the lights on, to keep us going, and with support from people, we will pick that up as soon as, like, circumstances change. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we're like horses at the gate a little bit. It's like... Open the gates. Yeah, Let just waiting go. for the gunfire. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. We won't be irresponsible, but those plans are definitely not off the table. You know, they're still yeah. going to happen. As well as like uh, podcasting and writing workshops too that we've... Absolutely. We've reached an entirely different level in terms of like the podcasting workshops. Um, uh, Jennifer Jarrett, who's now our community outreach coordinator... Mm-hmm. Um, an education coordinator, even during this time last week, did a virtual podcasting class geared toward making what is called Sonic IDs. I won't get into the details, but we now have an educational component for you know people that want to tell their own stories. I mean, it's always been our aim as, even though we're a predominantly music station, it's always been our aim to create a little sliver of our programming day and our programming world to honor audio storytelling because people are so interested in that, you know? And if we can shine a light 
on what's going on in the Treasure Valley, you know, in terms of listeners, anybody that wants to tell a story. I think we're doing our job. That's what being a true community entity is all about. And Definitely. That's our goal. Yeah. No, I think it provides as much education as it does sometimes escapism. Right. Um, exactly. And, you know, good storytelling can provide both. Yeah. We all know what a scintillating story is. Like, you forget that you got through, like, some maybe pretty heavy topic matter. You know, you're like, whoa, you fooled me. I learned something. So, right. You know, it, it, it's pretty great. I think that even our Couch Surfer series has brought a lot of that storytelling to kind of reflect on, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, I don't want to say shared or what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, more participative, maybe. More participative, more communal understanding of right. what yeah. people go through. Yeah, um, it's like putting the literary world, with music included, into the pop-up sphere, right? It's like you hear that with music all the time, Tiny Desk Concert, you know. Yeah. The stuff that goes on at KXP. So it's like the musical quality, but also with like the music of words and passages from novels and stuff like that. And then poof, right? You can put 45 or 50 people in front of something like that. And I, as well as you know, that people walk away from that just like telling us that they've had a brand new experience. Oh, yeah. Like, holy cow, you know, there's just something about dimensions, right? There's something about live people. <laughs> what is it? What is it about live people? Well, I hope we never lose it, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, personally, I feel like Radio Boise provides kind of like a vital organ to mm. just Boise at large, but more specifically the music and art scene, and even more especially to Tree Fort Music Festival. What role does Radio Boise, in your eyes, accomplish for Tree Fort? And how does this fundraiser help the station attain that role or sure. fulfill that role? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a symbiotic relationship and we have a great relationship with Tree Fort and we really appreciate what those guys do for us. I think having something that goes on 24-7 gives us a real advantage in being a mouthpiece for these great ventures like Tree Fort that come up and, you know, we can have programming that has these little pods, you know, they're like Mm. sets or whatever. And really, in essence, that's kind of how you experience Tree Fort, you know? It's like you go out and you watch something that's somewhat bite-sized, like a 45-minute set. You can go to a different club or you can wait and watch the next band. And it's like just this whole crazy plethora of experiences and i think our broadcast day is like that but we're here to like highlight great things that people are doing out in the community we're doing great things too but the obligation of being like a messenger is something that we take really seriously and think about how much less light would get shed on these things if we didn't exist right you know right and i think that's pretty clear to a lot of people that have listened for quite a while, you know, and those are the people that honor their obligation of like donating twice a year or becoming a monthly sustaining member or whatever, in which we always encourage anybody that has the means to do so to do it, to keep us alive. Because in a way, what you're paying for is having like a light shined on your community. You become more connected to it. You have places to go. You meet cool people, you meet things that maybe broaden your mind, you know, and that's sort of priceless. 
Yeah, you know? definitely. So, and I guess just kind of a just a little weird thought tank, but especially in times where not as many people can donate, how would you compare to just like verbal, like, hey, you should check out Radio Boise? As opposed to giving money, you know, because we're in a time right now where maybe not as many people can mm-hmm. give money, but I think word of mouth yeah, in a time like this could sure. be almost just as valuable. Well, absolutely. Yeah. We're not in it for any like, you know, uh, we're not in it in any fleeting way, right? It's right. not like, well, if we don't make $6,000 by June 13th, that's it. Right. right, people. Right. And that's why when you listen to the station, even when we're asking for money, we don't pitch for money that way you know it's more about it's the it's sort of the long game and if someone out there is listening to the radio station on an ongoing basis and they haven't been able to donate or they can't donate for the foreseeable future there's absolutely no shame in that yeah there's no shame in that you know i mean because they're still part of the community yeah the quest of like culturally enriching yourself is like beyond any price, yeah. you know, and I will tell you that we don't take that much money to survive. It's, uh, it's very hand to mouth here. Yeah. And I think we're committed to that because we want to be able to be independent and we don't want to be, you know, like prescribed what to do from above. And we want to be light on our feet. You know, if we weren't this way, likely even when like, COVID-19 came up, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have been as light on our feet to like convert over to as much pre-recording as we can, you know? Right. So a little bit goes a long ways, but listening to community radio or just remembering that broadening your horizons, listening to a cut you've never listened to, trying some sounds out or like opinions that you've never experienced before just makes for a better community. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I know that's very, it's almost like some anthem music should come up right now, right? <laughs> but I do believe in that. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. You are a pioneer of uh, the freeform airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in our modest little Boise idea. Yeah, a revolutionist. Of <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a lot of conversations with you, Wayne, and you always just completely blow me away with your encyclopedic knowledge of music. <laughs> and I feel like this would be a tougher question for you than it would be anyone else. Mm. And that's the deserted island question. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> what oh would be the album Mm. and I would give you a maximum of two albums if you couldn't narrow it down to one okay that I would that that I would listen to if I had one album on a Uh, Gilligan's Island you find these albums on a beach it's funny I think just one day I was walking down the street and I was like I think that's the album that I can't live without yeah yeah so it came out in and maybe hopefully I get this correct 1967, I think. Um, Love, Mm. Love's Forever Changes. That's a great album. Yeah. I've never gotten tired of it. It's full of so many surprises. There's a little bit of a, like, where did that come from? You know, it's just a miracle of creation. But I think sonically, you go through something, I don't know, uh, over the course of like 40 years. Mm Mm-hmm. I've gotten tired of a lot of albums that I've loved, but I've never gotten tired of that one. So it might be good company on a desert island, <laughs> at least for 15 years or so. At least, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm kind of relieved I had an answer to that. Yeah, I am too. I thought that'd take a while. I do have a hard time <laughs> narrowing stuff down. I really do. <laughs> but that was an easy one. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks for sitting down with me and, you know, looking forward to more Freeform Radio, looking forward to more weird stuff absolutely. <laughs> in the future Thank, here. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for your part in it. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so from the Lee Pesky Learning Center, we have Emily Olson. Hey, Emily. Hey, Christian. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, just kind of sheltering in place, recording a podcast. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're one of our awesome nonprofit partners with StoryFort. Um, StoryFort 2020 is going to be the first year um, that uh, we kind of organize a really cool event called Jacob's Story. We can talk about it in a second, but tell us a little bit about your position with the Lee Pesky Learning Center and what you guys are doing right now. Sure. Um, so my role at Lee Pesky Learning Center is I'm the advancement director, which means I am working to advance the mission and the strategic vision of the center, which is to create a pathway to learning for all students. Um, we have three parts to our work. The first part being our intensive one-on-one -on -one evaluations, academic interventions, academic coaching, and counseling. Um, the, the second is our teacher training and our professional development, so working in the classroom with students. And then our third is research through our partnership with Boise State to uh, fill the practice, uh, the research to practice gap that exists. Um, Right now, with the center, we have been able to, as of uh, the Monday after the first case, so March 16th, we've been able to transition all of our one-on-one -on -one services with our students who would normally come to the center um, to distance learning. And these students have learning and attention challenges or have counseling needs related to school. Um, so to be able to have to consistently work with them when all of these school closures are occurring is incredible. Right. And from what I'm hearing from our educators and counselors and evaluators, things are going really well, but uh, the need has never been greater to support them. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, what, do, what does that look like, I guess? I mean, it look like this Zoom call that we're on or does it look like, um, I don't know, just describe how this learning is happening. Sure. So we're using secure video, which is a bit, it's very similar to what we're doing over Zoom. And you can screen share and you can see a student writing or working with math manipulatives. Um, you can do an interview for an evaluation or have a counseling session with your counselor. But of course, it's a little bit higher tier security because of HIPAA, et cetera. And I do, I just have to give props to my team for being so thoughtful and knowing that we needed to take our client confidentiality and their comfort in mind and also find a way to still be able to meet with them. And so those sessions continue to be a few times a week for approximately an hour, um, Mm -hmm. And the students are at home and our educators have been all at home since March 17th. Yeah, which now, by the time this is going to air, will be um, well over a month and a half. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge for all of us, but it sounds like you guys are, have transitioned really smoothly. Um, I'm sure there have been a little bit of uh, many challenges, but maybe some silver linings. What maybe... Have you seen and experienced sure. much of, you know, maybe things you didn't expect out of all this? 
Well, for one thing, we have been providing distance learning services for many years now. And we've, you know, been trying to make sure that it's known that we're accessible and our services are accessible that way. And this has just been an incredible opportunity to get that out there and really work out our programming on a larger scale being done through distance learning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The other piece was that we did not have official teletherapy status with our counseling department, and we now do. We were able to quickly... Uh, circle back and get our counselors certified to be able to do teletherapy and work with their clients and their students in that way. I mean, and then of course you, you see just how much you can do and also how well our clients have been responding over televideo. Um, There's been a lot of note in our staff meetings of between counseling and academic intervention that surprisingly, a lot of progress is being made in that in that way, um, and it's cutting down on the time that families have to commute <laughs> to right. us too, which is kind of nice. You know, just more of their day is able to be focused on that learning experience, and um, we have not slowed down either. I should say, with working with our teachers in the classroom, there's still video we took throughout the year that we can do coaching sessions online courses, online training, um, and that work has gone off without a hitch as well. That's great. So we are here, you know, um, giving a shout out to a number of our nonprofits, of course, including you guys, but it's a special time of year um, as a campaign. We already told you a little bit about this Idaho Gives. So at the time of our taping here, you guys are over 30K. You've got a a week left, over a week left um, in the whole campaign. So your goal is $45,000 and like you see that you're trucking along nicely. So tell us about that a little bit briefly and just kind of how people can, you know, give on there. Sure. And thank you for the opportunity to do to do so, because as well as we are doing, we are having families that are approaching us for need of services or teachers that are approaching us for need for professional development. And the financial piece is hard for them. We've had families fall on hard times who need some help with being able to continue services without interruption for their student. Uh, We've had more families reaching out to us, especially in the mental health component. There is going to be a strong need for students to have self-regulation skills And they're losing just, I mean, a month and a half, you said it yourself, is a valuable amount of academic learning time, especially at the end of the year, and especially in early childhood when reading is starting to really click in. And they're starting to really be able to use logic and self-regulate. And we've we've just lost that, plain and simple. So there's going to be a higher need on the other end of this as well for us to be able to provide our services at low to no cost. We, we just want to make sure that we are able to provide our services in a way that is consistent, easy to access and affordable. Um, Idaho yeah. Gives is providing us an opportunity to make that up. We like many other nonprofits depend on a special event, a fundraising event each year called our mm-hmm. Pathways to Learning event. It was supposed to be on April 8th, and it was canceled. 
right? So that's, yeah, that's what makes it a very unique time. So the campaign lasted a little longer, it seems like, yeah. this year. And so before we had to wrap it up and move on to the next wonderful nonprofit, why don't you tell us, like, how to go, go about that? Um, you know, you got Idaho, IdahoGives.org. And then from there, what do you do? So from IdahoGives.org, you would search for Lee Pesky Learning Center, L-E-E-P-E-S-K-Y, and you would find our profile. And we have some wonderful challenge gifts that are going on right now, in particular from our lead challenge sponsor, a $10,000 matching gift from Idaho First Bank. Um, we were able to transition our special event over to Idaho Gives thanks to the two-week period but we are still only slated to raise about half of what we would have usually raised mm. if we meet this goal. And it looks like we will, we believe we will. Yeah, so yeah, so. <laughs> every little gift helps. It's going immediately to financial aid, to providing for teachers to be able to continue services or to be able to experience our online classes, um, the students, teachers here in Idaho. So. We appreciate the support. Yeah, well, we're, as mentioned, just happy to work with so many awesome nonprofits. And um, the event that we had cooking for March, which is going to now hopefully take place in September, um, the 23rd through 27th, was a really cool story about this uh, guy, young man named Jacob. Maybe in just like 30 seconds, you could give us a little bit of that. Like the thumbnail sketch of what that event was going to look like during StoryPoint, what it will look like in the future. Sure. Um, Jacob is a sixth grader here in the Boise Public Schools, and he has dyslexia and dysgraphia. And he worked with our learning specialist, Aubrey, at Lee Pesky Learning Center for two years plus um, and made incredible gains. And he himself and his wonderful mom, Lisa, wanted to share this story and say, hey, look, I learned differently and that's okay. And I'm getting what I need. I would encourage those that are interested to hear more about Jacob's story um, to visit our blog on our website at lplearningcenter.org, where uh, we were featured on Idaho Matters with um, Jim Agadat right before all of this happened, literally the day that Treefort was postponed, actually. And Jacob and his mom and Aubrey spoke about what his story is going to look like at StoryFort when we get to tell it. And we know we'll get to tell yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a great one. And it's really cool to have him, but he really want to reach out to share his story. Um, and that's kind of what we're all about at StoryFort on some different, different levels. So, gosh, thanks so much. And good luck with the, the by the time this airs, um, a couple of days from now, it's going to be the fourth and so you'll still have to the 7th of May um, to, to push through, right? To get that yes. money built up in there. So <laughs> right on, Emily. So thanks so much. And hey, we'll see you one day face to face too. Uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for this opportunity, Christian. We appreciate everything that StoryFort and TreeFort has done for Lee Pesky. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, so next up here is Immigrant Justice Idaho, 
lead lawyer and founder, uh, Maria Andrade, who can tell us a little bit about herself and the organization. Um, thanks for being on with us. And they're one of our great partners, um, collaborating with uh, some other nonprofits in the sphere of immigration and social justice and activism. And um, Maria has been a, a friend and, you know, partner here in our story fort lives in the past and tree fort. So Maria, tell us about all this stuff you do out there. Sure. Well, thanks for the invitation. Um, yeah, I've been practicing immigration law uh, largely in a private firm for uh, maybe almost 20 years before uh, sort of coming to terms with the fact that there's a, so many people that just lack immigration um, representation in courts. They can't afford a private lawyer. And since there's no public defender system, no free lawyers before you get deported, um, I am just really happy to be able to get to a point to um, launch Immigrant Justice Idaho, where we're really kind of guided by the principle that we don't think that people should have to have money to have good, competent, you know, legal defense. And so that's been a, that's been our primary mission. And, um, Kind of along with that and consistent with some of the work we've been doing with StoryFord and others is really public education, um, public education around immigration law, around policy. Um, I think when people see images and sound bites of, you know, really hyperbolic things around immigration, it's, it's hard to know what's what. And, um, you know, I really believe that more people who understood um, kind of how the process works, the limitations, the bars to folks that otherwise would become lawful to the fact that people just don't marry people and become legally, pre you know, don't get their green card or citizenship, the more allies and the better conversation that we would have around immigration law and policy. And I think that's something that beneficial to us and beneficial to those that believe in, in just and humane immigration reform. So that was a lot of the reason why we were interested when part of Andrade Legal and participating and telling sort of the stories of what it's like to be a lawyer, right, down working in detention centers at the border and bring our personal experiences and sort of paint the picture of the toll it takes on both lawyers, but also what are the types of reasons and what do the people look like? What are their personal right. stories? Yeah. Yeah. We've dealt with that quite a lot. Maybe, I don't know, give us uh, a sense of the state of the, of your job, um, your law firm and nonprofit, and also just maybe a couple stories or one um, significant, significant one that, Kind of tells us how things have shifted, even become more slightly dire, perhaps, or more complicated, for sure, in the, the present state of the world. So how's it going with that? Yeah, I, I'd say the things um, maybe we could start with the last questions is sort of what is what's new? I mean, people are still getting let's just say this. The, the ice machine is still rolling. Uh -huh. The immigration courts are still rolling. People are still being detained and they're still being deported. Kids are still being detained. People are still trying to claim asylum. So all of that machinery, for the most part, is has been and continues to roll forward as if it's business as usual. I mean, there have been accommodations made to, let's say, certain courts deciding that maybe they're not going to have 30 people show up in the size of a classroom, you know, and to avoid spread, a, you know, any community spread of a, of a virus. But a good example of where, the, how the systems are not, are, you know, are really slow to catch up to the reality that are affecting us personally are the mere fact that until a couple of weeks ago, people were expected to show up at immigration courts. And um, the courts did a very poor job of communicating to clients um, when they had to show up and when they didn't. And so we were fielding a lot of calls about people who 
um, believed that they had to show up for court the next day when we just happened to know because we have access to the internet or on listservs that two days before the court had issued a closure. And um, so you might have families, entire families traveling across the state, something that's not desirable now, going to a location for no reason at all when they don't need to be there. But two weeks earlier, you had lawyers who were being asked to show up to like detained hearings. So those are hearings in jails, Um, even though there are surfaces all over that there are people with high motivations to show up because if they don't, they might get deported. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, these are people that doesn't matter if they're six, doesn't matter if they bring their five kids. It doesn't matter. They're going to show up. And those attorneys were being asked to provide their own personal protective equipment to go into court. Mm. The judge would have them, the prosecutor. So imagine you're detained, you look to your right, and your lawyer has a mask and gloves on. You look up, the judge has a mask and gloves on. So does the prosecuting attorney. But you know who doesn't have masks and gloves on? <laughs> Often uh-huh. the non-citizen. So, so that's like the procedural aspect of things have changed. Things have changed in the sense of there's just so much more anxiety about every move. I mean, this is a population that's already lives in a bit of anxiety. And you layer on top of that a concern that, one, they're, uh, they don't have maybe health care. This is a very uninsured population. They tend to have jobs where maybe they're, they're not, you know, paid sick leave. There are those kind of earned benefits. And people that are being still asked to, to show up at work who are concerned that if they have health issues, that if they went to a hospital, it could actually, they could either be turned away. That would be the best case scenario, but they could mm-hmm. be turned over to ICE or they could get a benefit that they then find out is going to be held against them if they apply to become a lawful permanent resident or citizen in the future. And Mm. so a simple explanation of of that concern is there is a, there's a provision in law that says if you're likely to become like dependent on public benefits, that you can be denied entry. Uh, The Trump administration uh, reissued that rule with more expansive categories about mm, took effect in February, actually. So you have that rule that caused a lot of uh, fright uh, around the community about can I get any public benefits? Is it safe? Is it not? Then you get the COVID pandemic on top of it. So you have a population that doesn't want to get benefits who's now really scared to get benefits. Right. Oh, man, that's terribly, wonderfully, horribly complex. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories from you and your fellow lawyers and um, activists in this realm. And that's, oh, man, just throw a pandemic on top of everything. And and, uh, I guess, you know. It's really amazing work you do. And how, I mean, you're involved with this Idaho Gives, we can talk about in a second, um, but mm-hmm. just like how do people who have any questions for you or just want to get involved or help as they can in these times, how do they get a hold of uh, your firm and the, the, the non Yeah, so the best way to find out about our events, we've been able to be uh, pretty active on the Facebook page. Um, we also have a website that has a calendar on it. Things seem to be happening so fast, sometimes that's hard to keep updated. Right, what is People, your website? Sure, it's immigrantjusticeidaho.org. Okay. And the main phone number, well, the email for folks that are interested generally in what's going on is info at immigrantjusticeidaho.org. If you're interested in volunteering in some capacity, um, it's volunteer at Immigrant Justice Idaho. And we really just want to know what it is that you want to offer. What kind of experience are you looking for? And right now, it's harder than than 
Other times, um, maybe, or maybe we have more unique needs, um, given that we are, you know, working at home a lot of time, but we're cycling in and out of the office. Um, but yeah, if folks want to find out more, those are a couple of places that they could do that. Right on. And then Idaho Gives, um, as everybody knows, this episode, we're featuring a number of our nonprofits who are involved with the uh, both Storyboard and Treeport, and also are like looking for funding through Idaho Gives. So what, um, I guess, your goal right now is about halfway fulfilled with the time of this taping, and we're going to be uh, putting this on uh, on air a few days before the deadline of May 7th. What would the, what would the monies go towards for, you know, for your group? I mean, the things you're talking about, how, how I don't know, what should people know about if they do donate, mm-hmm. this is what they'll be helping out. Yeah, we've had like a lot of nonprofits, and maybe this is a um, this is a benefit of being somewhat new and nimble because we're not we don't have a lot of pre-programmed uh, work through grants. Meaning we're we're nimble to to change course. And so here's the three things that your funds are going to go to: one, immediate support of DACA recipients that could any day now be told by the Supreme Court that they don't have a DACA. They don't have DACA anymore. The DACA program's eliminated. So we launched a emergency response to do a rapid removal or rapid renewal process. We're doing them uh, online. We're doing them um, through another kind of expedited program. Um, Immigrant Justice Idaho is taking the lead on bringing together lawyers who have volunteered to do those applications quickly and for free. So one is supporting um, these these folks that have uh, the DACA that could lose it any day. Second. Outreach to the folks that are not getting, they don't have information about what's happening. Folks that are limited English speakers, folks that are illiterate, folks that are working in jobs that are essential in food production, in uh, nursing home care, who um, may be among the least insured and need to know the most about how to protect themselves. Um, Third, really providing credible, timely information on the onslaught of immigration announcements. In just one week, we had the travel ban announced. We had another kind of ban announced. We had um, evidence of increased ICE raids. And now we have an executive order telling, um, you know, like meat processing plants that they have to go back to work that are made up predominantly of, non, uh, you know, of folks that are non-citizens. So, Immigrant Justice Idaho is the way to support us, is to support our community of all of those um, programs is to fight back onto each of them and support the community members who otherwise really wouldn't have this information. I mean, I think that one thing that you can really feel good about, if you look around for a statewide immigrants' rights and uh, legal services program in Idaho, you're going to find Immigrant Justice Idaho because we're the only ones that um, have been able to really bring together all of the facets of immigration support and delivery and advocacy. That's awesome. amazing and awesome um, and really important work, clearly. Um, and we could probably talk about this for a couple hours, but we only have this one little segment right now, but do go to um, idahogives.org to give um, or go to Immigrant Justice Idaho's website that uh, Maria put out there and, you know, get involved as, as you can or just actually funding this thing um, that they do uh, would be fantastic. And we've really enjoyed working with you and others from um your community of activists and uh, lawyers, and we're, we're hoping to bring, you know, September, you know, instead of 23rd and 27th, bring y'all some pretty cool stories about road ba- the road back roadmap, I should say, to activism. But thanks, Maria, and um, we really appreciate all you do. Thank you. Okay, so now we have the Idaho Conservation League's 
Justin Hayes joining us here on the podcast. Um, Justin is the executive director over there at that awesome organization we've been collaborating with uh, via StoryForward and TreeForward. So Justin, welcome and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role over there and also what's going on these days with the with the uh, the Idaho Conservation League. Great. Thank you. And thank you very much for letting us be part of this. It is so cool to be you know, part of the run-up for Tree Fort. Um, it's going to be a little different this coming year, like all of our lives are going to be, and we're just so committed to being a partner with you guys in this. So thank you very much for all you're doing, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about some of the work that we do at the Idaho Conservation League. So let me talk a little bit about the organization, and then I'll talk a little bit about myself. So the Idaho Conservation League, and sometimes I'll call it ICL, that's sort of how we talk about ourselves internally to our friends. So ICL has been around since 1973. We're the state's leading voice for conservation. We work on issues all across the state, and um, we work in communities. We have offices, uh, Sandpoint, Ketchum, Salmon, Idaho, and here in Boise is our headquarters. We're about 25 staff, and we work primarily on climate and public lands, water quality issues, and trying to restore salmon and protect wildlife across all of Idaho. So lots of issues, very diverse, but we're a homegrown organization. Uh, we're not the chapter of a large national. We're a local group working uh, in Idaho with our members to protect this place that we love. And uh, I've been at ICL for about 19 years now. Uh, for 18 of that, I was the program director and worked with our staff and our volunteers on the conservation program work that we do. But for the last year, I've been the executive director uh, and so as the executive director, I, I you know, continue to work on conservation issues, of course, but I now get to do much more in the public eye. I, I get to participate with folks like you, uh, sort of talking about the work of the organization. I tour around the state a little bit more when we're not under COVID lockdown. and I give more presentations to rotary clubs and things like that and speak with our members. We're so fortunate to have 30,000 supporters all across the state. And it's a big job to stay connected with all of them and make sure that we're hearing from them um, and that we're learning the issues that they're concerned about and we're reacting in a way that really supports them and their communities. That's fantastic work for sure. And it's been really cool. This is the first year that we've collaborated with uh, the ICL. You know, it's something I've been thinking about as the storyboard director and the programming stuff is like getting some environmental and conservation narratives into the larger stories scopes you know, that we bring to the festival and all that. So it's awesome. And working with uh, your river fellow, Jonas, he's been awesome. Um, and a couple of events we had going um, for March, hopefully in September now, um, or the river runners where we had like uh, basically some, some guides and some people, some, some people who've been on the rivers of Idaho for a long time, going to be telling some stories. And then another one, um, Idaho's lifeblood, our rivers, our fish, our lives. And, yeah, that was really fascinating. It educated me a lot, but uh, those programs are on hold until September. What kind of stuff do you have going right now that, that uh, you know, people are kind of isolating and uh, kind of slowly creeping out into the world, but uh, in Idaho at least, but what's going on over there? So, you know, the work of conservation never ends, um, even in this incredibly, you know, interesting COVID moment where people are sheltering a place in home. Uh, we're still trying to connect our members to the conservation issues that matter to them. We're trying to get them to be communicating to their elected officials 
now through the phone and digitally. Um, in normal times, we try and really turn people out to town hall meetings and events. Right now, we're focusing on phone calls and emails. But it's just an incredibly important time in Idaho and in our nation to be talking about conservation and taking steps towards a better future. You know, I think about the work we do on climate change. Uh, you know, in Idaho, we see the effects of climate change all around us every day, changing snow patterns, the way that uh, our snow melts and gets into our rivers, rain, uh, might have more droughts, the way that it affects agriculture, our forests, our wildlife, our fish. Climate change is just such an incredibly important issue in the lives of people today, right now in Idaho. And our people really care about that. Our supporters want Idaho to be carbon neutral. We want to see all of Idaho's utilities divesting from coal. And we're having tremendous success with that. You know, just at the end of last year. So we, we rung in the new year. We rung in 2020 with Idaho Power closing down half of one of their coal-fired power plants. And that's just an incredible success story. And that came about because groups like ICL and all of our supporters and volunteers worked to build public support for clean energy. And Idaho Power heard that, saw the economics of that, and wanted to be on the forefront of providing their customers with what they wanted, which was clean, reliable, affordable energy. So there's so much great work going on in Idaho. And that's really because of you know, volunteers and supporters from across the state coming together and pushing a pro-environment, pro-Idaho agenda that makes this state so special. And it's just really cool to be a part of it. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what can people do like right now? I mean, obviously we have this Idaho Gives campaign. We can talk about where those funds will go, what that'll help support. But is um, you guys still have volunteers working like kind of, you know, virtually like we are today on the Zoom um, or, you know, what, what can people do to get involved? There's lots of ways to get involved. Uh, if people go to our website, which is idahoconservation.org, there's links there. Uh, there's a big button on the front page that says act now. There's also a big button right there that says donate because we're a nonprofit group and we want you to take action and help support our organization. Um, but if you go there, you'll see things that are happening right now in your communities, actions that you can be taking, whether it's, uh, you know, filing your opinion and comments on federal actions around land management or weighing in with utilities about where they're going to be buying our energy from in the years to come. There's also things, you know, meetings are still happening around the state virtually, like you mentioned. So just the other day, I participated in a, a two-day event, actually. Two days of Zoom is a long time, if you're curious. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was the governor's salmon work group. I'm a member of that salmon work group. And, you know, we get together and we talk about uh, the issues that we care about and ways to solve them. And then we provide time for public comment. And that's actually one of the most important parts about these work groups. Um, you know, in, in days when we could meet physically, we'd have, you know, people come in, they'd sign up, they'd stand in line to get to the mic, and they'd want to give us their opinion, their concerns, their ideas about how to save salmon. We're still doing all that virtually, of course. So people signed up and they gave testimony over Zoom. Uh, it was really powerful. It was really great. I think that people, um, yeah, we're caged up at home, but the issues that we care about are more pressing than ever. And it's just incredibly important for groups like mine to be connecting people to decision makers uh, and processes even now. Even now, decisions are being made that if we don't weigh in on, 
and try and get them to be good decisions. Bad things will happen in this moment and we'll have to pay for them for a long time. So we can't let our guard down. Our supporters don't let their guard down. And this is just an important time for us to stay very involved. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. It's, uh, that's that's so true and um, it's so cool to have you on along with all these other wonderful nonprofit partners of uh, the festival. Um, and I know Gives um, is a big, you know, it's a fund for and a, and a yearly fund drive for nonprofits in Idaho. Um, and you're one of the major, um, I mean, you have a pretty robust, you know, goal this year. I don't know if that's changed much from last year, but it's really great to see it, it from what I lost. The numbers as of a couple of days before this podcast air, will air, you were pretty close to your goal already. So that's pretty amazing. So um, Idaho Gives is an incredible opportunity where our community comes together. Conservation groups, arts groups, civic groups, um, groups to support our community in this moment. And we can, we can use the sort of strength of numbers to get attention to these issues, to, to make it available to people who might not have thought, oh, I could go and donate online. So this is a great way of us just sharing information about each other's organizations and providing opportunities for people to connect to us uh, with a donation online. And, you know, at ICL, we've got an incredible team of people who work at the organization to try and raise the resources that we need to engage in these issues. Staff members, volunteers, our board of directors. And I think this is a big part of that for us. Every year we focus on this because it's an incredible opportunity to bring our community together and help us raise the resource to support our organization. So, um, you know, yeah, we have a big goal. I hope we achieve it. Um, I'm feeling really good about it, but I'm feeling really good about it because of all the support we're getting from across the state from our members and people who are just learning about the work we're doing now and deciding to become members. And that's one of the really cool things about Idaho Gives is, you know, maybe you're uh, affiliated with an organization that's in the arts community and you get on Idaho Gives and, and you give to your group that brought you there. And then you, you know, you sort of scroll around and you see some of the other organizations that are working on issues and you learn a little bit more about partner groups in the state that you maybe didn't know about. And you think, oh, I can spare a little extra money right now for these important causes. So you click a few more buttons, so, you know, before you know it, you've donated to five groups. It's an amazing opportunity. Um, and I really can't say enough how, how thankful we are to have our members supporting us right now. That's great. I know it's, it's cool. Yeah. I just dug into the website too at um, idahogives.org. Um, and it's an amazing list of nonprofits from around the state. I mean, it's, I feel 150 or more, I think on there, right around there. I think there's more. It's an incredible group that comes together to, to host this event um, and really pull together. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, we're super happy to feature um, five of our nonprofits on this week's podcast. Um, and we have a couple others. We'll give shout outs to when this thing airs as well. Um, but thanks for taking the time and, we look forward to working with you, you know, this year um, in September, ideally. Um, we're optimistically hopeful, as we keep saying. Um, but it's such an uncertain time. We can't say for sure just yet, but that's our plan right now. But then for sure, moving forward with the Idaho um, Conservation League, it's going to be really cool. There's so many different stories out there that, you know, can bring to the stage. And we'll, we'll, we want to give you guys a platform for that stuff. So uh, I've learned a lot, like I mentioned, just working with Jonas and some of the other folks. Um, 
in these in this nonprofit realm is one of the cool things that uh, our team gets to be educated all the more about all the, all the stuff that's going on. So thanks so much for your time and uh, good luck out there. And um, hopefully, you know, things will return to normal sooner rather than later. So thank you very much and stay safe and really appreciate the opportunity to get together with you and talk to uh, the whole listening audience. This is going to be amazing. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Okay, then there you have it. Thank you so much to the nonprofits who were able to participate in today's episode and to those we work with, um, as mentioned earlier, who didn't get a chance to join us in the virtual studio, um, a.k.a. the Zoom town. But uh, we had a great time getting to know what's going on during these difficult and complicated times for the nonprofits who are our friends and our partners and just people we really appreciate um, out there in the world. So as we do appreciate all of you, we hope you're safe and well. We want to thank EaseDrop, E-A-S-Drop.com is where you can find information on all their podcast network stuff. We want to thank Treefort, TreefortMusicFest.com is where you can find info on all things Treefort. And just, we want you to know we're thinking about you. We want to thank um, Up is the Down is the for providing our theme music. And hey, we'll see you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.